Well, hello, Kylie. I am Debbie Stigler. I am the Executive Director of Outreach here at Abundant Life, and I get the opportunity to interview Kylie Masters. She's one of our outstanding leaders here at Abundant Life. And as we continue in our study of 1 Peter, Pastor Phil is going to be talking about leadership today. So we thought we would just uh, spend a few minutes introducing you to Kylie and letting her share her story of how she's serving God here at Abundant Life. So why don't you introduce yourself to everybody? Yeah, thanks. Like you said, my name is Kylie. I've been living in Kansas City since 2017 and have been attending Abundant Life since 2018. I work full-time in fundraising for the St. Luke's Foundation as a research analyst. And then I get to serve in a handful of areas here at Abundant Life um, with our little kiddos, with our young adult ministry. But I also spend a bulk of my time serving with our groups team as a groups director. And so what that means is um, I have the distinct privilege and honor of shepherding and counseling and just generally overseeing um, about eight of our group coaches who in turn shepherd and oversee 10 of our group leaders. Amazing, amazing, that's a lot to do. So you have a full-time job and then you serve in a volunteer capacity doing everything you just outlined. Yeah, and some, amazing. Yeah, some weeks it's five hours, some weeks it's 20. So sometimes it feels like a part-time job, um, but it's always really fun. And I kind of got into that because, um, you know, I was just in a place where I was like, I wanna do more, like, Lord, I wanna be used. And I was really drawn to our group's ministry because that's a big part of my story. I've been walking with the Lord my whole life, was raised in a Christian home, but it wasn't until college um, that I really found a lot of transformation and really just hit the ground running. And I linked arms with other women who were pursuing Jesus and um, they challenged me, they encouraged me, they love me. Um, and it was really transformational and I still have that today. Um, I have a group of women I meet with every Sunday night. We study the word together, we pray together and we just live on mission and we have a ton of fun. And so, um, you know, a couple years ago, I was just like, Lord, where do you want me? I wanna be used. And he directed me to our group's ministry as a director. And it's been fun, it's been exciting. It's been challenging at times. Um, you know, I'm just an ordinary person. I have no formal training. I've never been to seminary. Um, but I want to live a life that emulates what Jesus did. And, you know, I'm ordinary, but he's extraordinary. And so he has equipped me and he has given me all the tools I need to be able to shepherd these young women and just love them really well. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you for your leadership here to Monday Life. That's amazing. Okay. So now you've inspired everybody that's watching you. They're sitting there and they're thinking, well, I'm a leader and I can do that. And that's a spiritual gift of mine. So they want to step into the next level of leadership. Kind of share with them your journey of how you practically went from attending in 2017 to becoming the leader that you are today in yeah. Abundant. Yeah, so I started attending um, Paradigm, which is our young adult ministry on Tuesday nights, and really quickly followed that up with attending on a Sunday morning. And then I went through our Next Steps class and sought church membership, um, explored the different areas to serve. I um, got involved with the community group, and then I started leading a group, and then I started coaching a group, and then I started directing. Um, and then I also went through Discipleship One. And so that was kind of my process for, for getting to where I am today. That's great. So that's process is the process that you all can follow. If you haven't signed up yet for Next Steps class or discipleship um, to be a group leader or to at least be in a community group um, or our ally, our Leadership Institute also. So those are all ways that you can navigate. We have a leadership track or a growth track for you here, and those are ways to get involved in that. Um, you can go to the website. All of the things that you mentioned are on our website at livingproof.co, and you can register or Use that Next Steps card that's in the seat back in front of you. Fill it out and just say, I want to be a part of Next Steps or I want to be a leader and we will get in touch with you. Turn that card in at the lobby and you can become like Kylie. You're a great inspiration to us. Thank Thanks you. for leading. Thanks for all that you do here at Abundant Life. Thank you. Yep. I love hearing Kylie's story, just for clarity, she's not on staff, she doesn't get paid, but she leads. And that's what we're talking about today in 1 Peter chapter 5, as we continue our study. If this is your first time, we're going verse by verse, line by line, through this book of 1 Peter. And church, I don't know if you realize this or not, but the greatness of any church is not in its paid leadership, it's in its lay leadership. Now, I don't know if you know the difference or not, paid leadership lay leadership. Kylie is in lay leadership, meaning she's not on staff. She's not getting paid. She has a job outside her church. She's a research analyst by job description and by job title, but she's a Christian, which means she is called to be a shepherd and a leader of others. And that's the calling on all of our lives. And so many of us aren't going to be called to carry a title pastor, but we're all called to pastor and shepherd in some capacity, which means for some of us, we're in paid leadership. Others are in lay leadership. 
If you're in lay leadership, what that means is this. You get paid, you're just on the deferred payment plan. Okay? You do. Not here, there. One day, you're going to stand in heaven at the judgment seat of Christ, and he's going to award you and reward you for having led well. And the reality is, guys, we have this phenomenal serving culture at our church. Hundreds of you served yesterday to make that party for our city what it was. And it was awesome. Thank you for the way you serve. But what we really need is a servant leadership culture. We have a serving culture. We need a leadership culture. You have Kylie who is shepherding shepherds, who's shepherding the flock. And that really is where we have to go. It's mission critical as we take the gospel to different parts of our city, crossroads next year. It's about multiplying leaders everywhere. And that just happens to be what Peter is talking about today in 1 Peter chapter 5, the last chapter of this letter that we've been studying now for several months. The Apostle Peter gives a word specifically to pastors and shepherds that were among the people at that time in the first century. Remember, he's writing to a suffering church. He's coming out of this discussion on suffering and trials and persecution. And that is when leaders are needed more than ever at a time much like we're experiencing as a society, a difficult time, and leadership is needed, especially in difficult days. And that is why he's now closing out his ladder with this exhortation specifically to these leaders. First Peter 5, verse 1, are you ready for this? Say, go Jesus. Go Jesus. Let's go. You thought I was going to say, go Chiefs. But not yet, all right? That's later today. All right, go Jesus. Here we go. First Peter Chapter 5 and verse 1, he writes this, to, to the elders, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. He says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Now, Peter's writing specifically those who had the title pastor or elder. And you see several titles throughout the New Testament. They really deal with the same position, the same person within the church. Sometimes it's pastor, sometimes it's shepherd, sometimes it's elder, sometimes it's overseer. These are the same position within the church, has been for 2,000 years. At our church, our tradition is pastor. That's why a lot of you call me Pastor Phil. I answer to Pastor Phil, I'll just answer to plain old Phil. Doesn't matter to me. Just don't call me Elder Phil. I'm sorry, this just sounds weird to me. I'm sorry, all right? 21 years ago, I went to bed a cop, woke up a pastor, and within one week, I had my first funeral. Guys, I'm telling you, I didn't have any idea what to do. I'd never preached a funeral. First time ever, one weekend. I hear somebody going, Reverend, Reverend, Reverend. I had to look around like, me? Reverend? Me, Really? I had no idea. I was a reverend, but I was. Whatever it is, reverend, elder, pastor, these are all just titles for the same person. And that, you see, is now who Peter is addressing. He, he's addressing specifically these first century pastors, elders, shepherds that was shepherding the flock. Remember, he is writing this letter to the Christians that had been scattered abroad throughout the Roman world. They're now receiving this letter for the first time, and they're hand-scribing it, and they're passing it on to others, and others are starting to read it. And now they come to a little parenthesis in the middle of this letter written specifically to the pastors and the shepherds. What is a shepherd? by definition. Listen carefully. A shepherd is one who's entrusted by God to care for another person's soul and help guide their spiritual development. That's the call of God upon my life as your pastor. I've been called to care for your soul, help shepherd your soul, and help guide you to spiritual maturity and help guide your spiritual development. But this is what I want you to hear, guys, because not all of us will be called to carry that title. I don't want to minimize the title of pastor or elder or shepherd, whatever you want to call that specific person. That title carries authority. It carries responsibility. That title, title means something. I don't want to minimize the title, but this is what I do want you to see. Most people, when they get to this part of the letter, they check out. Like, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not a pastor. I'll never be a pastor. And here's what I want you to hear me say. Regardless of whether or not you ever carry this title of pastor, every Christian is called to shepherd other souls. And that is why what Peter's about to write is for everybody here, not just to Pastor Phil or Pastor Chad or Pastor Stephen over at Independence or Pastor Steve Brown over there at Blue Springs. You may never have this title, Pastor, but I want you to understand, Kylie very much is a shepherd. 
And this is why I wanted you to hear her story. Here's a young lady that has a job outside the church. She has a title, research analyst, yet she understands my calling as a Christian is to be a shepherd, to shepherd other people. And that's what discipleship is. Do you understand the mission of every Christian is to make disciples? Matthew 28, 19, the last thing Jesus said to the church was go make disciples. Now listen, there's no such thing as a disciple that's not making disciples. If you're not making disciples, by definition, you're not a disciple. Jesus said, go make disciples. So if indeed you're a disciple or follower of Jesus, you've been given this mission to make disciples and followers of Jesus, which means by definition, whether you ever have the title, you're a shepherd of people. You're shepherding another person's soul. You're in the process of developing somebody else spiritually to help grow them from infancy to spiritual maturity, which is why every person here needs to listen carefully because as we grow as a church, it's more important than ever that God raises up other leaders among us like Kylie. We have over 300 small groups meeting without our city and even around the country. And do you understand if you're a small group leader of Abundant Life, you've been entrusted to the care of a part of the flock of God, and that care is more than simply you organizing the next potluck social for the group. Well, who's gonna bring the dessert, and who's gonna bring the side? No, that's a part of it, but that's not the main part of it. Your job is to be a shepherd. You're helping shepherd the flock of God. If you're part of discipling, and you've been given by one of our pastors, this new Christian, to disciple them in the faith, and now now you're discipling them one-on-one, -on -one. guess what that makes you? That makes you a shepherd. You see, every one of us have a call upon our life to shepherd others spiritually. And that's why I want you to listen carefully to what Peter is about to say. There are three things Peter's going to tell us today. If you want to shepherd well and answer the calling of God upon all of our lives as followers of Jesus, number one is this, a shepherd's calling is to lead. You need to see yourself as a leader. I am a servant leader. And that's the calling of God in all of our lives in some capacity to lead. And this is what Peter now says in verse two. He says this, shepherd the flock of God which is among you serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. So much going on here, so let me stop and talk about this for just a moment. Here you have Peter. He's writing specifically now to the shepherds or pastors, and look at what he says. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. I just want to point this out. The shepherds are to be among the sheep. We're called the flock of God. He is the chief shepherd. And we're serving as an under-shepherd, under the chief shepherd, and the shepherds are to be among the flock. In other words, there's no separation between what some call the clergy and the laity. I mean, clergy, doesn't it sound so high and mighty? A man of the cloth, what does that even mean? Do you understand the separation began early, early in Christianity, in the early days of church history? The separation between the laity, the normal people, and the clergy, the really spiritual people, it was never meant to be that way. He says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. You're to be among the people as a shepherd. Yet in the early days, you see something that happens. In fact, you can read about this in Revelation chapter 2 as Jesus is pinning the seven letters to these seven literal historical first century churches. The first church was the church at Ephesus. And one of the things he commended the church at Ephesus for is says they hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, who were the Nicolaitans? The Nicolaitans were a first century early Christian sect of Christianity. They were actually a cult that had infiltrated the early church. And what they were there to do is in their name, Nicolaitans, it's two Latin words. It means to conquer the laity. Nico, conquer, Latins, laity. They were there to conquer the laity. They're the ones that taught there is a difference between the people in the pews, the normal people, and the people in the pulpit, the pastors and the priests. And y'all can't possibly understand the word of God, so you need the clergy to interpret it for you and tell you now what Jesus is to you. Do you understand? Jesus said, I hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans because that was the philosophy and the false theology that led to a thousand years of darkness in Christianity at a time where the common people would get decapitated or burned at the stake. Literally, it was a capital crime to have the word of God in your spoken language. That's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And so consequently, Jesus said, I hate this doctrine where there's a separation between the shepherds and the sheep, or the separation between the 
clergy and the laity. He's saying, no, I don't want the separation. In other words, pastors are just people too. And it's really important you know that because, you know, I was raised in a church that didn't necessarily practice the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, yet practically speaking, like the pastor to me was always a little bit like the Wizard of Oz. I mean, it's just kind of a mystery. You never really saw him except when he preached and he was kind of behind the veil and nobody really knew what was going on back there, but it must be really important. It's really, really spirit. You know what I'm saying? It was just kind of the feeling I had growing up. And so for me personally, it's like, I can't relate to that guy. He is so holy. He cannot possibly fathom what I'm going through. Like he must have reached some spiritual pinnacle, some spiritual plateau that I will never, ever reach. So I, I just can't relate. Do you understand that doctrine, the Nicolaitans? is still pervasive even today in the 21st century church in various ways. And so it's really important. I, I don't know if you need me to tell you this, but you just need to hear me say this. Your pastors are just people too. That's all your pastors are. Just normal people. That God has called them to shepherd the flock of God among them. This is why, by the way, I enjoy hanging out with you. Like, I, I enjoy going out in the foyer and just hanging out in between services, talking to people. Sometimes I'll wander up to the nosebleed seats, clear up there, and sing with you. Uh, because if I was coming to church and I was just sitting and listening, I'd be up there somewhere, guys. I'm just telling you. I know the action's on the front row. I know. I'm just being honest. I'd probably be back there with some of you, too. But he, here's the point. This is what Peter envisions, this shepherd the flock of God which is among you. There's no separation between the pastors and the people. And then he says this, serving as overseers, overseeing the flock, overseeing the spiritual development and discipleship of the family, uh, overseeing it for protection, for provision. This is what you do as a discipler, whether you have a flock of one that's been entrusted to you or a flock of many, many more, it matters not. It's still the same calling. This is what God has called all of us in some way to do. He says, not by compulsion, but willingly. In other words, not because you've got to, not because you have to, not because you've got a job to do. Like, okay, here we go again. Got to go to church. Open your Bibles, please gotta preach. He said, oh, no, 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 no. Not because you have to, but because you want to. It says willingly. Like it is a sacred trust that God has given us all the opportunity to take the word of God and invest it into the souls of men. That'll be something we want to do. It's a sacred trust. What an opportunity. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. How many of us have been in church a long, long time? We all know the stories of pastors that were there for the wrong reasons. They were there for their own gain, dishonest gain. And Peter specifically, 2,000 years ago, saw that coming. Don't do it for the wrong reasons, for what you can get out of it. And then he goes on, he says this, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Guys, I call this a sacred trust. You know what we see here? It is a sacred trust that God would entrust any of us with the sole care and the shepherding of another person. It is a sacred trust. God has entrusted us with this calling to shepherd other people. That's why you hear me say almost every week, it is an honor to be your pastor. That God would entrust me with that. That you would entrust me with that. It's an honor to be your pastor. And that's what Peter is now saying. Not lording over the flock as those entrusted to your care, uh, but rather being examples to the flock. We are learning here the keys to leading anything. You can put this on the most basic elementary levels of leadership. Whether you're pastoring or whether you have a title like mommy or daddy, and you have this little flock that's going home with you today, or maybe you're a small business owner, or maybe you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, it doesn't matter what, you're learning here what is the key to leading. The key to leading is not lording. See, what Peter's saying is this, leadership is not lordship. In other words, leadership is not dictatorship. Leadership is not built on titles and positions. 
back in the 90s, many years ago, before I knew I'd be a pastor, I was a member of KCPD. A lot of you know that. And I made a promotion. No longer would I be an officer. Now I would have a different title known as sergeant. I became a supervisor. They took my silver badge from me and, and replaced it with a gold badge and gave it to me. And then after giving me that gold badge, they sewed three stripes on my sleeve. They'd never been there before. After sewing those three stripes on my sleeve, giving me a gold badge, they pointed to 10 guys and said, you're in charge of those guys. Now let me ask you something. Did that make me a leader? What'd that make me? Made me a boss. That's it. See, I had a title. Now I had positional authority I didn't have before. That didn't make me a leader. That made me a boss. Now, put this down on the level a lot of us live here today. Uh, mommy is a title. You have a title. Uh, daddy is a title. That's a title. And with that title comes authority. Guess what? You're in charge of your children. They are not in charge of you. Some of us needed that reminder. Because some of us wonder who's leading who. Right? Here's what I want you to see. That title will take you a little bit. It'll take you a little bit. I mean, when your kids are this big, that works because I said so. That works when they're little because you're bigger than they are. You can make your kids obey when they're little because you're bigger. And some of us need to make our children obey. Amen? Amen. Amen. If they don't learn to obey you, they'll never learn to obey God, right? Now, here's what I want you to see, though. Eventually, because I said so, will be insufficient. Because they move from being two-year-olds to being teenagers, and pretty soon, mama, that little boy that's two is gonna be bigger than you, then what? See, what Peter is teaching is on any level, leadership is not lordship. It's not about titles. It's about influence. Leadership is influence. It's the trust you gain through the example of your life. And that's why Peter said, not lording over the flock as those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You see, leadership is about trust. People will only follow you to the degree they trust you. And so what you're trying to do in whatever flock you lead, as a mama, as a daddy, or maybe a small group here within Abundant Life, or a church, as a pastor, what you're trying to do to lead people is not lordship, not dictatorship, like I'm the pastor, I'm in charge. Listen, if you gotta tell people you're in charge, there's probably a good shot. You just think you're in charge. That's the nature of leadership. No, the reality is leadership's about influence, and that's not gained through titles. That's not gained through positions. Peter's teaching you that is gained through the example of your life. That over time, people see the example of your life, and they want to follow you, not because they have to, but because they really want to. See, this is what you're trying to do as a mom and dad. I'm just trying to put it down here on the most basic level that affects us all. As a mama or a daddy, you're a shepherd of people. You're a shepherd of these little one's souls. And eventually, because I said so, is insufficient. Because your mom or daddy, that will not be enough. What you're trying to do is gain the trust in that relationship given time that by the time they're teenagers or 20-somethings, they want to follow you because they have such respect for you. They have examined your life, not just what comes out of your lips. And you see, that's not lordship. That's built on a relationship. And that's the nature of leading people. Uh, notice we're called the flock of God, and shepherds are called just that, shepherds. Um, there's not a lot of maybe farm boys and farm girls in our church today, but but let me just help maybe if you don't really understand the imagery, because you don't lead sheep the way you herd cattle. So growing up, my home away from home was my granddad's farm. And I learned this right away, because one of my favorite days to be down on the farm on the weekend was roundup day, when my grandpa would get a bunch of help together and we'd round up the cows, right? And one time he had sheep, he had cows. And so I have not been around a lot of livestock, but I remember growing up being around a little bit of livestock, and I learned right away, you want to move a herd of cattle, you got to get behind them. You push them. You push them from behind. And you got to know the language. You get behind them, you start yelling at them, you start pushing them, and you got to know the language. Get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. And that little, yeah. I mean, that tells them you're really serious. Get out of here. Yeah. 
All right, that's, lang- that's cow language. That says he's serious. I better move, right? Now, you try doing that with sheep. Sheep just scatter. That's the nature of sheep. Cows you push from behind. But sheep, you got to get out in front of them if you want to move them. You try to do that with cattle. Listen, you just get out in front of a herd of cattle. You look back and say, come on. You can do this all day long. Guess what? They're all just going to stand there going. Looking at you like you're stupid. Yeah, chewing their cud. They're moving. You got to get behind them and push them. On the other hand, sheep, you try to push from behind, they just scatter. You see the difference? You see the imagery? How you lead people is not from behind, it's in front. You can't push people. You can't make people do anything they don't want to do. Sheep are stubborn. No, you've got to lead them in a way that they want to. And that is what Peter's now teaching shepherds, whether it's shepherding a church like this one, shepherding a small group, shepherding your little flock that you go home with. It's leading in such a way that people see the example of your life and they want to go where you're going. And that's the nature of leadership. It's set from the example that people see. Hebrews 13, seven puts it this way. Remember those who rule over you, speaking of the pastors, Uh, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. You see what the writer of Hebrews is saying about pastors? It's, It's not what we say, but rather what people see that gives us credibility so that other people wanna follow where we're going. Only a cult leader would demand blind followership. Any leader that would ever stand up in front of you and say, shut up, don't ask questions, just follow. Listen, don't follow somebody like that. In fact, so the writer says, hey, consider their conduct. Don't just listen to what they say, rather watch what they do, what you see. That is what gains you credibility with whoever's following, whether it's a, a corporation you lead, whether it's a small business, whether it's your children. People are always going to consider your conduct as a mom and dad. They might not hear what you say, but they will always see what you do. And that's why it's crucial that we live in such a way as people examine our conduct that they want to follow where we're going. That's the nature of leadership. And here's the prerequisite of leadership. Here's the number one most important thing about carrying spiritual authority. Humility is an absolute prerequisite to carry spiritual authority and responsibility. And I've told you all along our study, First Peter, Peter's driving toward what I think is probably the anchor verse, the key thought of First Peter. First Peter 5 and verse 5. It's all about humility. He's driving toward this. Number one most important character quality of leadership is humility. Now, why would that be? I'll tell you why. Because if you live long enough at all, whether it's in church life or whether it's in a company, whether it's in government, you know everything rises and falls on leadership. Everything. And we've all been around leaders or we know of leaders who had immense responsibility and carried a lot of authority, but because they lacked humility, eventually they abused their position, handled it irresponsibly, and in the end blew up everybody. And we can all think of those stories, whether it's a pastor or whether it's a a company or a, a manager, perhaps in government. That's all I'm gonna say about that. Moving on, getting back to the text. Here's the reality. Wherever the problem is in society, whether family, whether a marriage, whether a company, whether a church, whether in government, it always comes back to a lack of leadership, dysfunctional leadership. And often the problem is arrogance and pride within the leader. They don't have the character quality of humility to handle the position and the promotion they've been given. And that is why Peter is driving toward this concept of humility as he addresses leaders within the church. Look at what he says in 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive one to another. It's not just the younger people, it's also the older in the faith. You never outgrow the need for humility. In fact, as you grow in authority and you grow in responsibility, you need humility even more because that's where your humility will really be tested. 
which is why every single one of us have to live in a state of submission with a heart of humility, mutually submitting one to another. You think about this, my wife follows me. I'm the head of my house. God has given me that position, Ephesians 5.25. But check this out. Just as often as my wife follows me, I follow my wife. Mutually submitting one to another in the fear of the Lord. I have this title, lead pastor at our church. You look on our organizational flow chart, I'm the lead pastor. And I lead all these other pastors. But listen very carefully. There are times those other pastors lead me. See, if you are in a position of responsibility and you make every decision, you're not leading well. There are times you need to walk in submission and let them lead you. Uh, you think about all the ministries that go on around here. Um, fusion, student ministry, Wednesday nights. It happens right here in this building. Awesome. If you have a student, introduce them to Fusion. I will promise you to Sean Avery as our student pastor, he looks to me for his leadership, but I'll promise when it comes to student ministry, I'm looking to him. I expect him to know more than I do. Paradigm, young adult ministry happens in this building Tuesday nights. Yes, those pastors are under my leadership, but I will promise I'm under theirs too. See, it's mutual submission. That is what God wants us to do. In terms of how we lead, great leaders know when to be led, and that demands humility, apart from which I promise eventually you abuse your authority, handle it irresponsibly, and everybody suffers consequently. You can see why humility is essential as you get promoted in responsibility and authority. Verse five, be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I'll promise you as a leader, you have the sense of I gotta have God on my side. I'll tell you what keeps me humble, I don't want God to stiff arm me. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's football season. That's the closest I'll ever get to a Heisman, okay? That's what God is saying here. God resists the proud. Get away from me. But gives grace to the humble. I'm going to tell you as a mommy and daddy, you need God in your home. I'm going to tell you as a Christian-owned business, you need God in the middle of your business. I have this sense, listen, as pastor of our church, I am desperate for God. I cannot do this apart from him. You see, humility is how you see God for who he is. And once you see God for who he is, then you can see yourself for who you are. And I am desperate for God. I'll promise Pastor Phil needs God. That keeps you humble. God, that's what keeps you near to God. And as a leader, you can't be trusted by God with authority and responsibility if you don't have that desperation for God, like I've got to have him near. I can't stand the thought of being stiff-armed by God. Now, listen, you can't lead without it, and shepherd's got to lead. But the number two thing is shepherd's got to feed. A shepherd feeds the flock. Whether it's your little flock of one that you're discipling, or maybe your little flock that you go home with, and that little toddler, or that teenager, all right, whether you're a pastor, you lead and you got to feed. And I'm convinced as Peter's writing these words, he never forgot 30 years earlier on the shores of Galilee when Jesus restored him to the ministry, what he said to him specifically. Now remember, Peter had denied knowing the Lord three times on the night that Jesus was arrested. Peter failed miserably. I'll tell you why God allowed Peter to fail, because Peter was Peter the proud. He was anything but humble. He was not prepared to be the great apostle and pillar of the early church. You remember Peter, as you, as you read through the Gospels about Peter, he was the natural born leader among the 12. He was the one to always go first, the one to always speak first. Sometimes he put foot in mouth before he engaged his mind, he would engage his mouth, right? That was Peter, Peter the bold, Peter the brash. Peter was the one that promised Jesus, Jesus, when everybody else runs away, I'm your guy, I'm going to stay. And you know what Jesus said, Peter? You don't know what you're saying. Satan desires to sift you, Peter, and you're going to be sifted like wheat. And before the cock crows three times tonight, you're going to deny you even know me. Oh, no, not me, not Peter, but that's exactly what happened. You know why God allowed Peter to fail? Because Peter needed to be humbled. He was not prepared yet to carry the authority responsibility that he would. 
And honestly, Peter thought, I'm done. I'm on the shelf forever. I failed miserably. You know, for some of us here, you put yourself on the shelf because there was a time in your life that you failed and you think you're disqualified now from leading or having ministry within the body. And I'm convinced Peter's story is in the Bible because nobody here will ever fail Jesus as miserably as Peter failed on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Yes, some of you, you, one of you started to. No, I'm serious. There are some of us here that you permanently benched yourself. Like, I'm disqualified to be a leader. I'm disqualified to minister. And I'm trying to tell you, it's time to get off the bench. You benched yourself. God didn't bench you. He might have permanently, he did not permanently put you in timeout. He didn't permanently put you on the shelf. He temporarily put Peter on the shelf because he was going to learn something he needed in his failure and his heart was going to be humbled. But in John chapter 21, on the shores of Galilee, Jesus himself restores Peter to ministry. And I'm trying to tell you today that it's time for some of us to come out of the dugout, get back on the field, because Jesus is not done using you, regardless of your worst failure. It is not final. And on the shores of Galilee, on that particular day, Jesus said three things that Peter never forgot. He's restoring him to ministry three times. Jesus said these things. John 21, 15, feed my lambs. And then Jesus said in verse 16, tend my sheep. And then Jesus said in verse 17, feed my sheep. And Peter never forgot what Jesus said. He never forgot the calling on his life three times. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And for the last 30 years of Peter's life, that's exactly what he's been doing. 2,000 years later, as we've studied last summer his second letter, and this summer we've been studying his first letter, what's amazing is 2,000 years later, the apostle Peter is still feeding his sheep. That's what we've been doing as we've studied this letter. He never forgot those words. 30 years earlier, he has fed the sheep and the flock of God over and over again on the words of life. I'm talking about the word of God. What are we to do as shepherds? Listen carefully. We are called to take the word of God and invest it into the souls of men and the souls of women. It was Peter that would write in 1 Peter 2, 2. We studied this several months ago. Remember what it said in 1 Peter 2, 2. As newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word that we may grow thereby. You see, Peter used this analogy. He used it often in the same way a baby craves the milk of his mother. A new baby Christian in spiritual infancy begins to crave the milk spiritually, the milk of God's word. And as you grow, you don't stay on the milk. It then becomes meat. And that's what Peter's now saying it's time to feed his sheep if you're discipling one person that's what you're helping them do if you're a small group leader listen at abundant life it's not just about the potluck it's not just about being the social director and who's bringing the side and who's bringing the dessert no it's about feeding his sheep you are now in the ministry you're a shepherd of people that has been entrusted to you and that is what we do. This is how we feed his sheep. It's on the word of God. The word of God is both for provision and protection. Provision and protection. This is why, guys, listen, when you come to our church, we're going to stick with the Bible. It's not going to be the latest opinion, all the tidbits of wisdom floating around everywhere in the air. I mean, it's amazing in this age of technology how much wisdom is there in the air. It's everywhere. But I'm trying to tell you, empty, vain wisdom the latest New York Times best-selling author, the latest child psychologist psychobabble. Listen, it's everywhere. Guess what we need? The Word of God. The Word of God. It's food for the soul. It's food for the soul. And as a shepherd, we're all called to invest the Word of God into the souls of men. It's for provision, it's also protection. And it's amazing, in Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul is sailing by Ephesus. He'd been for three years in Ephesus, planting this church in Ephesus. He's sailing by Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, on the way to Jerusalem. He didn't even have time to get off the boat. They poured in another city. He calls for the elders of the church at Ephesus, the pastors that he left there to help pastor the flock in Ephesus. He's, no, he's never going back to Ephesus. 
He wants to give them one last word of wisdom. It tells us in Acts 20, he begins weeping, and through his tears, he warns these other pastors that when I depart and I leave permanently, he says, quote, ravenous wolves will come among the flock to devour the flock. He was speaking of false doctrine, false teachers, false preachers. And what's amazing to me is after 2,000 years, for all that has changed, some things are exactly the same. False teachers are among us. They are everywhere. And guys, I'm telling you, in the age of the internet, false teachers and false preachers have a bigger platform than ever. I mean, that's what the internet has done. It's given everybody an opportunity to have a pulpit to thousands. And I'm just telling you, I'm seeing certain things trend, certain things come and go. And what's amazing to me is the very false teaching that was trending in the early days of Christianity was Judaizers. You see this phrase, you see this term often in the book of Acts. Judaizers were the ones teaching early Christians that to be a Christian, they had to keep the Jewish law and the Jewish customs and the Jewish culture. For example, you want to be a Christian and you're a Greek, you got to go through the, through the Jewish rite of circumcision. That was one of them. Now, that's false doctrine. That's dangerous doctrine. I'll tell you why. Because we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, apart from any works at all on our part. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. The moment you add any of your works to Christ's work, it's no longer grace, it becomes works. That is a false theology. And when you put yourself back under the Jewish law, you don't put yourself in a place of salvation. The law can only bring condemnation because it demands perfection. And that's why Paul and the other apostles, they were constantly fighting against that false doctrine, the Judaizers that would take the flock of God and devour them with this false doctrine. I want you to be so familiar with the word of God that you instantly understand and know a lie when you hear it. Because it's everywhere. And what's amazing is this same concept, this false theology, it is trending. Like, I've been at this 21 years. I can see what comes and goes by the questions I get. And the same thing is trending now, where all of a sudden, people want to be Jews. And people are being taught and misled by false teachers that to be a Christian, you have to keep the Jewish law and Jewish customs and culture. That's a lie, straight from the pit of hell. And I'm watching it happen. Somebody I've known and loved for years and years, I've known and loved for a long, long time, came to this church a long, long time, recently had a conversation with them. He'd started listening to one of these false teachers, a modern-day Judaizer, and he was convinced that we got to keep the Sabbath, which means you go to church on Saturday, and you need to put yourself back under the dietary laws of the Old Covenant and Leviticus, even though in Acts chapter 10, Jesus lifted the dietary laws, meaning it's okay to have some pork and some ham for breakfast and maybe a Christmas ham for Christmas, and I'm just being upfront and honest, I'm going to have bacon in the morning and love every minute of it <laughs> without apology, guilt-free. Had a dietician recently tell me, you know, bacon's got good fat, not bad fat. I like her. <laughs> but see, he was telling me, well, you, you can't eat pork. I mean, we're, we're under, you know, the Jewish Levitical system. And this is, this is generally, literally what he's telling me. And then he says this. I heard him say, my desire is to be an Israelite in whom there is no guile. My very thought at the moment was, Dude, you're a white guy from Nebraska. <laughs> you will never be an Israelite. Why do you even want to be? Can't you just be satisfied being a Gentile Christian that has been brought near to the God of the Jews in one family, Jew and Gentile, now forever together? That's what God intended. And I'm telling you, when again, you go to the back of the Bible, read that letter to the church at Ephesus, another thing Jesus commended them for is they would not stand and could not stand those who claimed to be Jews but were not. In fact, he called those who claimed to be Jews but were not of the synagogue of Satan. It would appear that it really ticks Jesus off when people claim to be Jews but are not. Yet this is what is trending in modern American Christianity. It's okay, I make a lot of people cry. <laughs> <laughs> 
Listen, I want you to see the Word of God. It's for provision. It's for protection. That you know false doctrine when you hear it. That's how you start to grow. Ephesians 4.14, be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. And that's what is happening in modern Christianity like it was in the first century, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. He says, grow up, don't be a child. Children are gullible, they're easily deceived. And if you don't learn how to feed, you'll still be easily deceived. First Peter 4.11, if anyone speaks... Let them speak as the oracles of God. As a shepherd, the oracles of God must be with which you speak. That simply means the word of God. Oracles of God, word of God. That's what we need to think with. That's what we need to speak with. It's the word of God that comes quickly to our mind, quickly from our mouth. That's what people need. I took uh, four semesters when I was in college of Spanish. And they told us at the time that you know you've learned a foreign language when you're actually starting to think in that foreign language. Never got there. <laughs> Never made it. First semester was awesome. I thought this was going to be easy. It was just vocabulary, memorization, memorize what this word means, got it, no problem. Then it was the conjugation and, you know, the verb tenses, and that's when things went to pot, okay? So by the last semester, my instructor is teaching the entire class in Spanish. I could not understand a word. I could tell when she was talking to me, though, because she'd look at me and say something. And I, I memorized the phrase. I use it over and over again. Lo siento. No comprendo. Sorry, don't understand. But this is what I want you to see. You need to spend so much time in the Word of God that the Word of God gets into you. Where it just kind of is the natural overflow of your person. Not that you have to memorize exactly everything it said, but, but just that, that you immediately, for any situation, that you're helping your flock navigate like you just know the principle biblically. Well, here's what it says here. Here's, the Bible is God's wisdom in a time that is more complex than ever with decisions that we have to make. And this is when you're starting to shepherd well, when you're able to take the Word of God and apply it to the situations that we face now as 21st century Christians. See, we're called to lead, but you can't lead if you don't know how to feed. And the last thing is this, we're called to bleed. And this is the true test of a shepherd. Because if you're not willing to bleed, you're not qualified to feed, and you certainly won't lead. And I'm convinced Peter never forgot this lesson because he mentions it specifically on the outset of his admonition to leaders. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And this is what qualified him to be an apostle. He's not just an elder, but he's an apostle. To be an apostle, you had to be a personal eyewitness of Jesus Christ from his baptism to his ascension based on Acts chapter two. He was an apostle for this reason. He was an eyewitness. He qualified. That's why today, church, there's no living apostles. Here's another trending heresy within modern Christianity. It's called the New Apostolic Reformation. NAR. There are people walking around today claiming to be an apostle. Apostle Phil. Guess what the implication is? They have the power to bring new revelation to the body, extra biblical revelation to the body, meaning they're still writing scripture. It's one thing for me to show up to church and say, church, open your Bible to 1 Peter, open your Bible to 2 Peter, but if I ever say, open your Bible to 1 Phil or 2 Phil, you'll know we have gone off the rails. <laughs> Go. Fast as you can, as far as you can. That, that, I mean, that, that's kind of the implication here. But listen, just like apostle, it simply means sent one. Nobody today has the office of an apostle, but we're all to live sent. In the same way, not all of you will have the office of pastor or shepherd, but we're all in some way to function as a shepherd. And if indeed you will, you're going to lead, you're going to feed, but at times you're going to bleed. It is a costly calling. And you have Peter, who knows, with Nero on the throne in Rome, unleashing a bloody persecution on the body of Christ. He knows 
that he has but a short time left to live. He will lay down his life indeed for the flock because he witnessed the Lord Jesus Christ lay down his life indeed for the flock. Jesus taught the shepherd's calling is to lay down his life for the sheep. And I would suggest this is the reason we follow Jesus Christ, not simply for what he said, but because of what he did. He laid down his life for us. And I would suggest this is why people follow you if indeed they follow you, because they know it's not all about you and you're not trying to save yourself, you're willing to give yourself. Amen. Amen. This is the ultimate cost of leadership. This is what Jesus did, now this is what Peter's about to do, and many would follow after him for the last 2,000 years too. Peter was there that day in John chapter 10 when Jesus defined what it means to really be a shepherd. John 10 and verse seven, church, you wanna know one of the most formative passages in my life 21 years ago when I answered the call to be your pastor, this was maybe the most formative pass a passage God used in my life to shape me and prepare me to be a shepherd. Here's what Jesus said in verse seven. Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me, speaking of the Pharisees, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and I will go in and out and find pasture. And the thief, he says, does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Sounds like a great name for a church, yes? Now you know where we got it from. All right, look at what Jesus says now. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Peter was there that day. He heard this sermon personally from the mouth of the Son of God. And I want you to see the imagery Jesus is teaching. Sheep and shepherds were everywhere in the first century. This first century audience would have immediately understood the metaphor. Twice Jesus said, I am the door. Once he said, I'm the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. In the ancient days, a shepherd would have taken his sheep and he would have put them into a sheepfold or a corral for the night to keep them safe. And then he literally would have laid down in front of the door of the sheepfold. Literally by laying down in front of the door of the sheepfold, he was guarding those sheep with his life. If a wolf or a predator wanted to go in at night and devour those sheep, they literally would have had to step over the sleeping body of that shepherd. Jesus said, I am the door of the sheepfold. I am the shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus was literally saying, over my dead body, will anyone come and devour these sheep? You see, that is the mentality of a shepherd. That's the mentality you need as a mommy shepherd, as a daddy shepherd. That is the mentality you need as one entrusted for the soul care of another in our discipleship ministry. That is the mentality I need from those shepherds over over 300 small groups helping shepherd the flock of God over my dead body. Will anyone enter this sheepfold and devour the sheep and the flock of God? You're going to have to come through me first. And that's the attitude of a shepherd. I'm willing to fight for the sheep, and if it requires it, even give my life for the sheep. You see, that's the calling on all of our lives in some capacity. That's what Jesus did for us. And that's what Jesus now charges us to do for others. Jesus goes on in verse 12, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. There's lots of hirelings in the ministry. People just hired to do a job. Church, you need to know, this is not a career for me, it's a calling. You can choose your career, you don't choose your calling. Your calling chooses you. This is not simply a job for me. I had one before I had this one. You see, a hireling is just in it to do a job. 
but they flee when it's too costly. They run when it's not easy. And now you can see why Peter is writing specifically to these elders in a time of profound suffering because it was gonna be very, very costly. The Romans first went after the church's leaders before they went after the church members. And I would suggest to you that if you want your children to grow up and give their life for the faith, they've got to watch you as they grow up giving your life for the faith. Because until you have a faith worth dying for, you don't have a faith worth living for. He goes on. He says the hireling flees because he's a hireling and doesn't care about the sheep. But I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I'm known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And that's exactly what Jesus would do 2,000 years ago. God himself became a man to become our sacrificial lamb. Jesus went to the cross, the sinless son of God who came like the sons of men to take upon himself all of our sins so that we could be forgiven and become like him. And today, if you've never placed your faith in him, your trust in him, today is the day of salvation. For by grace, you can be saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Jesus has finished all the work to redeem you from your sin so that you can be forgiven of your sin and become like him. And for those of us that know him, we've already made that decision then it's time for all of us to live like him as the chief shepherd and give our life for the flock. And here you have Peter who ran for his life. He, he hid for his life. He wanted to save his life, but now he is just days away from giving his life. And church tradition says that he did. There's no written record of this, but the oral tradition is very, very strong in church history that in fact, Nero would arrest him and he would crucify him. And church tradition tells us that at his arrest, as he was about to be crucified, Peter would say that I'm not worthy to die in the same manner as my Savior, and he requested to be crucified upside down. And all the Renaissance art, many portraits and paintings have been made of this moment in Peter's life where he was crucified upside down. And I don't see any picture, any portrait that really does it justice. It would have been an absolutely horrific death, bloody bloody way to go. But Peter had learned this lesson, the shepherd's calling. And it hasn't changed. It's to lead, it's to feed, but it's to bleed. In church, there's going to be times it's very, very costly to follow Jesus. It's not going to be easy. But you see, Peter was compelled because he had this promise and this promise is true of you and me as it was for Peter personally, verse four. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. I told you, you're on the deferred payment plan. And the day is coming as a shepherd who serves under the chief shepherd that you're gonna get a payment. You're gonna be rewarded with something that doesn't decay, it doesn't fade away. When all the temporal trophies of this world have faded away, they all one day will decay, made of dust and dirt. There are five crowns of the faithful Christian, the New Testament teaches, at the judgment seat of Christ, you stand before the chief shepherd as one that has shepherded other souls. And what Peter says is the day is coming that the crown of glory, the shepherd's crown, will be awarded by the chief shepherd to those who have shepherded others well. And God right now is searching this auditorium, this church, looking for other shepherds who will stand up and say, I want to be one, who will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'm going to make you ruler over much. Enter into the joy of your Lord, and here you have the chief shepherd who takes that crown, puts it on your head as one that is shepherded well. And church, I just want to say thank you. 
Because there are so many people here that have done this for so long, so well. Names you probably don't even know. Some of you will. Most of you won't in the size in the church that we have today. I think of Rusty and Renee Fercasa, who has shepherded so well. No title, no position, no pay. Just over and over again, year after year, shepherding and discipling other people's souls. I think of Don and Shirley Carney. 21 years ago, they were part of that original core that called me to be their pastor. 21 years later, over and over again, shepherded and discipled so many people, dozens among us. I think of, of, of so many others that I can think about that don't have a title, no position, but the shepherd's crown will one day be theirs because they've done it over and over and over again, shepherding other people so very well. For some of us, it's time to come off the bench. Stand up and shepherd. This is your calling. Jesus, I pray for every person here, God in heaven, that you would help us to shepherd well, ministering one to another, that we would answer this call to lead, to feed, and yes, sometimes bleed, to not run in the face of adversity when it's not easy, sometimes very, very costly. But I pray that we would follow the shepherd's call and lay down our life for others so that others can follow. And I pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Church, I love you a bunch. Let's give Jesus the glory today. Would you do that with me? I hope you have a super blessed, wonderful Sunday. God bless you. God go with you.